the digital transition. Digital Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition, powered by Bond University's Building Information Modeling Program. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrand, and today I'm talking with Don Cameron about the current state of BIM in Australia. But before I start my interview with Don, I need to talk to you about our exclusive sponsor, So Bond University are leading the way in BIM education in Australia through their Master of Building Information Modelling and Integrated Project Delivery course. They also offer micro-credentials as well. Now these courses were the first and remain the only university courses to be formally accredited by Building Smart Australasia. And these courses were also recognised internationally with a special mention for leadership in open BIM and education in the professional research category in the 2020 Building Smart International Awards. So head over to the Bond University website via the link in the show notes to learn more about their educational offerings. So Don, thanks very much for talking to us today, mate. G'day. How are we, Nathan? Great to be back after all these years. (laughs) It's been a long time, mate. It's been 21 episodes since we last caught up. It was episode 28 uh, when we kind of talked about um, Back to the Future and BIM and all the way back in November 2020. And uh for those that haven't had a chance to listen to that podcast yet and have no idea who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, we'll go over some old ground there. Um, I'm currently a director on the board of Building Smart, which is a role in our actually chair the uh, international awards, the Australasian chapter and jury for that. So it's a great honour to be able to do that role and and I guess the benefit of that is actually seeing all the work that's going on around the world and the region. Um, I'm currently basically lost sort of 20 or so years. I've been working mainly for uh, building uh, construction contractors on and mostly big jobs around the country, you know, um, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, and, and a little bit of time in Perth. And that's probably where I sort of cut my teeth is at yeah, Perth Children's Hospital with a couple of key guys in the industry. Um, really good experience that was. But, yeah, that's me. I like how you've kept it short and sweet tonight, mate. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? I normally ramble, do I? <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's a ramble, but you, you normally put a little bit more life into it. Maybe I've, I've, we've worn you out already. It's too late in the evening. But the thing that I enjoy in, in, in getting you in and having a chat, and I know it's been a few years, which is kind of disappointing from my front, is because I think that in many ways both of us kind of have that capability or we're both kind of happy to kind of – you know, be open with our expression and, and our true thoughts on BIM and, tra- and and the digital transition across the industry. As we talked about just before, a lot of time has passed since our last chat. I'll, I'll let you answer this one first and then I'll kind of talk about what my thoughts are. But, you know, since November 2020, you know, do you think the industry has moved very far since then? Ooh, start off with the difficult questions, eh? Okay. Yeah, we've got to do that. Really good one, I guess. It's it's. I certainly think in some cases it's moved really well. Like what I think is interesting is you know the Brisbane experience been going for you know you recently celebrated the tenth year and you know thanks to the effort that you and the other members of the committee put in on that, I think it's a great focal point for BIM in in Southeast Queensland and it's certainly a leading lights of of BIM 
exploration across the country, right? It was the first of the BIM, city BIMs, um, and it's still leading in, in my view. And, and the diversity of content that's presented at those things and the, and the audience numbers that we see regularly attend that, I think that's one as example of, of great development, I reckon. You know, if I recall back to the, one of the first couple, it was really a handful of gurus in the room, you know, rather than the wider audience. And now I think you see a really good cross-section of you know, even government people that aren't on the tools people that are project managers, people in constructions, in a sur- land survey, really across the board. So I think to me, you've seen great, much wider understanding. Certainly I was like the, thankfully we don't get any more what is BIM presentations. <laughs> 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 Maybe we should again. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe the next generation's ready for that. Um, so that I think is one good example, but I guess it's also frustratingly s- slow in other areas, right, where we see, where we expected, I suppose, government policy to drive a greater change and a greater adoption and a more uniform adoption across across the industry. I think one good thing is for, for me anyway, from what I've seen in my observation on projects is it's pretty much, it's modelling now, every discipline across the board. Um, and in generally, I suppose in a lot of cases, it's it's pretty good, right? So that's one thing I think in the last 10 years is gone from being where it was certainly well less than 50% on projects now to being, I would have to say, it's rare that you would find, and it might only be a specific discipline that's more niche and boutique that, uh, that you know, maybe where they haven't got the, the skill set to model and generate, you know, the, the, the requisite drawings from the model. So so two examples, I think, we, we have come forward and it's been obviously a hard road for a lot of people, but I don't think you'd turn up at any tier one organisation today and just say, oh, yeah, I can draft really well, you know, whilst you might be, you know, gainfully employed drafting and I'm not trying to just drafting. There's, there's yeah. still a whole art of, of that part too, but I think there's been a, such a significant move to use of models and the use of models, the software naturally has improved dramatically, right? I think that's, that's the other thing. It's just a no-brainer now that the hardware and software piece for us is it's solved it, from what I recall 10 <laughs> years ago. Mostly, right? Uh, yeah, I see, it, you, I see, you, see well, you shaking your head a little bit. <laughs> it's it's never totally solved, is it? The, no. the thing is, is that it's like everything. If if it's almost like gluttony, right? If someone gives you something, you then want more automatically. There's there's never a satisfaction yep. level with what we're achieving. Exactly. I I think that I think that's a really kind of optimistic look at at where we're at, and I think that going back to your point about Brisbane, uh, what I found kind of really enlightening with those events is that, you know, we have Clay up there emceeing, you know, the events and the one question that I really appreciate that he asks most of the time is, you know, is it your first Brisbane event? And to see half the audience nearly at every event putting their hand up uh, yeah. is, is a huge um, shift and in a dynamic way because, you know, prior to probably COVID, prior to COVID, I reckon, mm. had you asked that same question, I reckon there, I can remember probably when that question was probably asked, there was fewer hands going up. Yes, yes. So it means that it's becoming more apparent to people and less of an echo chamber, I think, yeah, maybe those conversations. Yeah, for sure. I think so. Um, but I think that diversity of, of, and like I was saying before, there's, there's people there that aren't, you know, intimately involved with BIM as such, but but see it, you know, coming into their world as a project manager or construction manager. So 
yeah, great. Um, and it is, yeah, it is a little bit of an optimistic view in some respects because there's other areas where I guess we probably both feel that we should be more more advanced, right? Like those tools that we spoke about that have evolved significantly where it's, you know, you're seeing them everywhere. Now, digital tools in the construction industry uh, is, you know, a huge spend. There's a lot more products available around, you know, field apps, um, all those kinds of things. And yet I think some of the basics are still a struggle, right? And stuff that I've been working on recently, a challenge to get just that, you know, that next level of, of quality, um, particularly data, like, and, and, and modeling and, and the use of it, right? The extended, so I asked people maybe using models or creating and generating and authoring models. I think the challenge is where I think the problem really lies is the reuse of that information, the, the geometry and the data. There's, there's not enough of that happening at the moment. Now, I, I, I think it's a really interesting topic when we sit down and talk about the modelling. And, you know, I began my modelling journey all the way back in 2003, 2004. So it's nearing 20 years where I basically all my projects were delivered using modelling. Yep. And actually, as of this year, it's going on a decade where I actually had information embedded in my model which linked to my specification. So actually kind of taking that transition because you're seeing on the ground that that movement forward with people being able to actually model now and actually generate geometry, yeah. you know, is it that we're sitting there and seeing that we need to just be a little bit more patient and that the people that are now at that level that we were at a long time ago are going to then and I guess it comes back to the way I actually implement, talk to people about how they implement BIM within their practice. I, I talk yeah. about you need to learn to model well first, get the geometry right. Once you've got the geometry right, then the next step is focusing on the information. Is is that possibly what's going on? I think, yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a complex situation, right? Because what you really had is this, in a way, a changing of the God. There's an issue of people in the workforce, like all of us, right? Like they say, no one likes likes change, right? Except for a, a baby with a wet nappy. Um, the, the issue, <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> the issue, you know, I think the issue is that, right? Like when people get into roles and the day-to-day grind, it's very hard to suddenly say, I'm going to adopt the next generation technology. So it's this, that transition of moving from, you know, it was the, what I first experienced as the touch end of the, of the drawing board into CAD uh, and then into modelling. Um, I think... The beauty of now is that everyone at the base level now that's coming through the, the educational system is doing modelling, right, uh, and entering the workforce. And they're the ones that are implementing the change within any any organisations that don't recognise, you know, what's happened. Um, and hopefully, I think, again, though, this is where the problem with organisation, where I see a lot of challenges is that organisations aren't recognising the possibilities of reworking their workflows and like you mentioned before, like you were, you know, ten, more than 10 years ago, leveraging the model-based workflow to generate schedules and specifications and all of that and making sure there's coherency in, in the, all the design documents, right? Um, I think a lot of organisations still haven't recognised how fundamentally they could reorganise the way they work. I'm, I'm certainly not intimate with it, but from what I see, the outputs when, you know, in a construction project, working for a contractor, uh, there's still a lot of issues that would be solved significantly by just implementing what you just referred to. Yeah, and it was interesting because I presented a new workflow where I actually built my specification online 
on an online platform and, yep. and had it connected via URL to all the elements in my space. And it's been something I've been wanting to play with and set up for like years, but I just haven't had the time to actually do it. Yeah. And I presented it to a couple of people, colleagues that I have over in North America, and they were just like, oh, wow. It's like, guys, this isn't rocket science. This is just really effective information management and connecting the dots, yeah. right? That's yeah. all that we need to do. It's what's missing. Now, we talked about Brisbane, and, and the one thing that I think that was really interesting with the comments you made about that was the diversity. And one thing that I used to track quite a lot when I wasn't in the chairman role, or yeah. sorry, chairperson role, and I was doing sponsorship was actually tracking uh, the industry and the in the in the industry that the delegates came from, so that we could you know advise the sponsors oh, yeah. the mixture of delegates that we had. And when Brisbane first started, it was. I think 50-60% attendance was by the architectural profession so uh-huh. in terms of that but the diversity of delegates now across all the spectrum of industries has switched and changed so much to be kind of more I guess more diluted in, in the sense that there's a there's a, there's a more greater diversity yeah. so it might be a task on my task list to go back and actually and do a check and see how we're seeing uh, the diversity across the attendees at Brisbane and maybe publish it up on, on LinkedIn yeah, just to I'll, talk I'll, about it. That would be great, actually. I think it will really help people see and and certainly your sponsors will be interested in that type of information for sure. It would yeah. it, it, make it an interesting difference. But moving on to the kind of – so it's great that, that for people – for me, I'm struggling when I attend events. I there's there's two reasons why people attend events these days and, and one is to learn from a presentation. Yep. And secondly is to network and, and catch up with your peers. And mm-hmm. the the last, obviously, the last 12 months has been great because we've been able to get back to almost, let's we'll call, it, we'll call it business as usual, uh, face-to-face events. And and it's probably going on probably 14 months, I think, that, that the face-to-face stuff's kind of worked quite well. For me personally, uh, across all of the myriad of events that I've attended, I – I think this is my point of disappointment. It, it it almost seems as if the industry is kind of frozen. It yeah. it hasn't really the I've I've been at, at conferences where the top people in BIM in Australia are presenting, and I feel like the messaging is still the same. And mm-hmm. you know, what's your thoughts on that as well? Have you have you felt that there's kind of been it, it's kind of almost stagnated here in Australia? I, th- I think, yeah, I think you could be right there. I guess it's probably a, could be a bit of a byproduct of, you know, a maturing industry, right? Uh, we, you know, said we're at that plateau level now where, but I would, I would tend to agree with you that I think we see a lot of events where there seems to be the same pattern of, or the same content being, re, you know, regurgitated. And like I was saying, maybe part of that is, is in fact that, the industry is a little bit more mature now and it's not like new, new, new stuff coming out every, you know, every quarter. But um, I do think there's probably an injection of, of um, new content or new players would be, would be good and really helpful finish. And I, I guess the other thing I think we need is a little bit more con- controversy, a little bit more, you know, argument. And, and I think there's too much of, a fear of not being able to say what you think you need to say. There's, there's too much, um, I suppose, concern perhaps about clients, um, agencies and all that. But I guess it's like anything. It's like a human individual, right? Unless, there's, unless you're prepared to expose yourself to criticism, you're not going to grow. Uh, and I think maybe that could be part of why we're not seeing enough. And there's also obviously, uh, you know, 
thing like the digital twin piece that's probably distracted people mm. to some extent, you know, like where that's the, the new bandwagon rolling into town and, uh, uh, and obviously a lot of interest in that. And, and it does hold great promise, but I do think, you know, probably what we've been talking about and our interest in, you know, BIM and digital from a you know, built environment perspective, I think there's still a lot of work to be done in making it more business as usual. Like I was saying, the reuse of that modeling and, and two things spring to mind is for me is like, so obviously sustainability is a huge issue at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And looking at, you know, things like ISCA, ISCA ratings of projects, which I've worked on and, and Greenstar, for example, and the, the data gathering that those two um, um, formats require in order to achieve compliance for, for either of those two rating systems is significant. And in a lot of cases, it's hugely manual. Uh, whereas we all know, like the data exists, it's just, so how do we, how do we enable and how do we leverage that next generation and really make BIM start paying for itself, right? Yeah, I've, I've been, there's, there's two things. So maybe there's a reason why we're not seeing these new age presentations or these further developments because possibly uh, they're in progress. Maybe, yes. Good point. You know, and, and, and the last COVID might have slowed progress down and we know that most good projects <laughs> take several years to come to fruition you know, it's it's not something that that happens overnight. Maybe that's maybe that's why there's a bit of dormancy right now. I think you could be right. Uh, there's clearly, from my knowledge of speaking to people around the country on projects, guys that I've and guys that I've used to work with in Melbourne that are now working so in Sydney. I think we are seeing that grappling with new ways and people doing it. Uh, there's obviously, I think the other point could be is that there's a lot of projects that are really big and are running for like four to five years. So we possibly, and you know what it's like now with the restrictions on what you can talk about, perhaps that's why we're not getting that. um, Refresh of information. Yeah. yeah. And and, and it's kind of timely in some ways that the the Queensland government are currently doing their uh, review on their digital enablement policy. And, uh, you know, at the last Brisbane event we had grant from the, from I can't remember the name of the of the government organisation. It used to be Diljip, but basically the the government agency that's responsible for the uh, that digital enablement policy. And it's it's timely that that is being reviewed. And originally, when that policy was released in November 2018, there was obviously the talk that all projects by 2023 would essentially be kind of delivered using BIM yeah. processes in line with that standard. I'm on the fence with this one. Like I, I kind of feel as if the policy's kind of driven some forward movement. Yep. But it kind of hasn't had that I don't know whether or not that needed more carrot or more stick. I yep. I think that what's concerned me the most in Queensland is that the government really hasn't taken it seriously and actually provided a team of people to actually enable this to be successful. It's always been kind of a, you know, a one or a one and a half or a one mm. half an FTE equivalent person trying to drive this agenda to try and, you know, if there was a team behind it, like you look at the investment by Transport for New South Wales or yep, the investment right. in VDAS. Very significant, yes. Substantial investments. And, and I guess it's a really good point. Like even if you just took transport for New South Wales by itself, you know, 
there's clearly far more um, people directly involved in digital engineering and their digital engineering group uh, than, yeah, the rest of any government department, all the government departments combined in Queensland. So, yeah, it is, it is strange that there hasn't been more engagement or, you know, adoption. Uh, I'm not sure why. Um, I guess, like you say, we don't know whether it's stick or carrot. I think there's a lot of projects coming up, like with the Olympics, uh, with the, the capital expansion, the health program that they're running. Um, we would expect, obviously, that there's going to be significant um, requirements for those projects, as it sensibly should be for, you know, that kind of really big dollar projects. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting that, and Victoria is certainly really, you know, leaps ahead, whereas they were lagging probably five, ten years ago. Now I feel that they seem to be, you know, more as a collective in terms of government, they seem to have really grabbed the bull by the horns and there's some really good initiatives, as I understand it, that are, that are happening down there. They have they have driven it. it. It was one of those things where it was kind of almost like a slow start because they started off with a uh, VDAS as a as a position rather, and it wasn't policy. It wasn't actually kind of mandated at, yes. that, at that policy level. And, you know, I... <laughs> In all honesty, I actually think that the the way in which the policy is written here in Queensland is actually really positive. Yes, it absolutely is. It's it's right, right? It's the right policy. It's, it's implementation that's the issue, isn't it? The implementation, I think, has been the, the killer. And I, I, I just wish <laughs> it's, it's that one thing where you kind of feel like, I, I kind of feel like the policy in some ways has failed to deliver against what the expectations were. Yep. Uh, only because, and I and I and I think this is the only reason, because there was never a true investment by the Queensland government in actually helping it succeed in terms of having the the people on the ground to assist each of the agencies to actually deliver against it. Uh, yeah, I would have to agree with you that the, it would have certainly made a big difference. I think in terms of understanding the implications, as you know, for any department suddenly to be thrust in and and a new policy that is completely, you know, Foreign. alien, alien yeah. to them, right? Um, but if it was translated by people from their area of expertise, perhaps whatever department might, they, they were in, uh, I think, yeah, we would have had much greater traction. So, look, those people don't grow on trees either, though. That, I think, could have been, you know, a challenge just to even find people for each department to have or, you know, maybe, that you know, get consultants, I guess. But even the consulting field in this country is, is is challenged really by the by the lack of of skilled people that have that you know broader expertise on how to implement digital in in an organisation right not a not IT uh, it's you know it's more subtle than that it's how do you transition uh, an organisation to use digital information anything and obviously anything we're familiar with in terms of built environment um, like I say I see the challenges in in the construction industry right uh, there's tools. That we all know about. I won't name any names here, but there's there's some great products that do some great stuff in respect of managing field issues and things like that. And um, and the technology in the construction equipment space, with uh, particularly in terms of um, geospatial stuff, is is been phenomenal. Like some some awesome products that have come out of. Well, and again, I won't mention any brand names, but you know. All of those, all 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 the geospatial companies have introduced some significantly powerful products over the last ten years that have really improved the game. But again, connecting all that together is still a challenge, right? There's still these piles of data sitting around, and, and obviously each one of those vendors has still also got their own proprietary uh, CDs or data 
uh, systems. Um, but the challenge is, again, like, like say, going back to the, the thing is, how does an organisation confront this issue of digitisation or whatever you want to call it and, and make it work for them? You know, how do they, how do they transition to, to the data piece, to asset management, um, leverage all of that? Well, I actually think that the biggest challenge is, is, and I've seen it on several government agency projects where, you know, they're asking for placeholders for data. Yep. And I know that some of these projects have very, very long um, lead times. Mm-hmm. So you don't know what you don't know or you don't know. But I want to use an analogy that I used in presentation at Future Infrastructure Summit and I think it's something that's really important for people to consider when they're talking about what data they need and, and even models, right? And yeah. we won't even, if I start on that journey, that'll be an interesting one. But, you know, Don, if you go to a restaurant, you know, do you order the whole menu just in case? <laughs> oh, sometimes I've been tempted. <laughs> yeah, but but I go, my, my pockets aren't that deep. Yeah, I know what yeah, you but mean. Your, but your yeah. pockets aren't that deep, but yeah. then your stomach isn't big enough to, to actually take all of that information, Correct. take all that food in, right? Yeah. Now, you might be cheeky one night and you might, go, I'll order an entree just in case, you know, or a dessert, you know. But I Always think, order dessert, mate. That's my recommendation. <laughs> I think the problem we've got is that everyone, instead of actually investing in sitting down with the people and asking them what they really need, yes, they're kind of saying, well, I just need to, I just need to have this just in case. And now people forget that, creating information yeah. and creating data managing it and managing it costs money yeah whereas we don't see um a, a third cross river rail tunnel just in case do we like nah, there's yeah. so much focus on being very prescriptive of what physical asset they need delivered but there still isn't that focus on digital and it's and it's that whole thing of just in case just in case whereas I think the challenge is is that they need to converse with asset man- asset management or facility management experts. Yep. They need to be part of the conversation. And, yes, there could be this scenario saying, well, the people that manage this asset don't exist yet because their roles don't exist because the asset doesn't there. Yes. So then they're going to say, well, we, we, we can't ask anyone until it's right near the end. But why can't there be those experts as subject matter experts, as part of these conversations, rather than just people that are digital advisors, advisory agencies coming in and going, no, no, we well, if we're not going to have anyone to talk to, we're just going to plug this. We're just going to put placeholders in. Yeah, I, I mean, I obviously agree. This is a continual frustration of mine. We we work on projects, and you have that issue where it just. Yeah, give me everything, even if it's not needed. I think part of the problem is is what we referred to earlier is the agencies or the clients or people not actually knowing what they want because it's unfamiliar territory for them. And so the consultants struggle to, to, to whittle it down, and in which case the easiest answer is always just ask for everything, right? Just particularly if there's no, at that point in proceedings when potentially it's just uh, expressions of interest or requests for tender, you know, creating all this, uh, all the project information set, there's no, you know, there's, I think what what I've seen happen in the past is exactly that, right? So you, people would put together the, the the request for tender proposals and uh, the project requirements, put them out in the market. The market comes back, uh, and then there's a discussion around the BIM costs, uh, 
and it's usually significant because it's been broken out and no one's quite sure exactly what it could mean because it's it's a long list. Yep. Um, and then it can quite often be deleted because um, a project manager or, or a reviewer doesn't see the value in it and doesn't know. And whereas perhaps if it was a more simpler arrangement or a set of requirements, um, it would happen and it would, you know, some other projects would, would have continued to, to have a BIM uh, implementation rather than have it, uh, you know, ripped out of the contract early on. And, and half the issue as well is contractors see the complexity of it and look, and look at their subcontractors or trade partners and recognise that it would be a real challenge to implement that, right? So they don't have the capability. Yeah. Industry yeah. doesn't have the capability. Yeah, to it's still an issue, right? Do you think that maybe, and this is a conversation I think I've had with some several people recently, is is this so difficult because people are fixated on BIM, right, and they're not fixated on information? So mm. other conversations I've had with people, the other information deliverables are buried in a normal traditional specification yep. or a terms of reference and they're, they're all – they're all listed there or in the case of a, an, a specification, they're buried in every single trade section. So all the certificates, all the tests, all of the, all of the samples, which really are just pieces of information. Yes. Is the, is the reason why we're struggling to, to make this transition is because people see BIM as completely separate to it. And why, if we actually just combine it as just what information do I need yeah. to deliver it, then we might actually see a, a, better, a bit more coherence. Yeah, 100%, I would yeah, definitely agree. It, it is part of the problem is BIM is too technical and some people love that, right, and they, they leverage it for their own, to their own ends, right? But certainly, and that puts people off, right, in terms of engaging. So I think absolutely if people focus on in the information piece and the streamlining and management of that information without question, the rest will flow naturally, right? And the, but the issue we I think what I've seen on projects too is even if there is a CDE, there's still a requirement for PDFs or which is fine, right? But the the, the linkage between all of that is all disconnected. So that the, there is at the moment we're not leveraging any savings in process, right? And the same with the data, right? And so instead of it being acceptable to have the data presented in some sort of digital platform, uh, I mean. There's obviously some key key examples that we all know about where where that does happen, and certain organisations have become sophisticated in in you know sort of room management software, if I can call yep. it that. Um, great, and there's there's good outcomes, but I think there's nearly not enough leveraging of of that way of thinking about things. There's still this requirement, yeah, PDF report, and that same table instead of being digital is buried in a PDF report uh, that just gets you know shared on an electronic uh, document management system. And but maybe that's all that people need. See, this is so the, the thing is, is that you know, like when we we sit in our in our in our shoes and we kind of see where we should be or where we think we should be with the future, because we you know we play and dabble with technology every day. We see the inefficiencies of how every project's delivered and kind of envisage how it could be done better. Yeah, are we? And and I and I often go back to a presentation I did at a conference in Budapest back in 2016, where I presented on a topic, and and I presented uh, at the same conference in 2014. It was my first ever international presentation, and I top top second top scored, 
come back in 2016 and, and run a workshop and it was on my latest research and development of how I was doing certain processes and yep. and the marks that I got from that that year were substantially lower. Mm. So the, I walked away from that and tried to figure out exactly in my head why the scores were so different. Yep. And I started to figure it out. It's because the research, the, the, the presentation that I put forward was of great interest to me because it was something that I was working on mm-hmm. right then in terms of cutting edge stuff that I was doing. Yep. But the relevance to the audience at the time was completely irrelevant because they're four or five years behind and the, the type of issues that they're facing within their organisation are completely different. So they're yes. trying to deal with other little issues. Yes. And they can't even imagine themselves doing the processes that I am talking about and sharing. They're kind of looking at it and going, "Well, this is has this is does this is meaningless to me. I, I can't even use this in my business because I, I need to take another twenty steps before I get there." Yeah, yeah. Is that something that maybe you and I have to consider as well in our kind of critiques of this, in the sense of thinking the way in which we're seeing things is so strategically into the future that we're going to get frustrated by waiting for the rest of the world to see what we can see? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm certainly frustrated. <laughs> That's what you mean. And I, and I think there's definitely that situation. It's probably like and like a lot of people I know look at the digital twin piece and and, and, and say that same sort of thing, right? And I, and I guess I, I feel the same way in some respects, the digital twin. We, you know, we're not even walking, we're not even barely crawling yet yeah. and some people want to run. But that sh- we shouldn't. I guess knock that in respect of where the future lies. Like, and I think I mentioned it before we started the conversation here about a presentation I saw at BIMAP Oz in, in Melbourne. I, ha- I have to shout them out because for their industry, those guys are doing a great job at, at helping leverage their part of the industry up, and they've done a fantastic job. And you know, every year they put on BIMAP Oz, and the, the couple of the speakers, and one was a really good example from the US, where uh, mechanical contracts are not only uh, became a, a developer in inverted commas a part of the project, but the ability to then reach out using the digital technology and 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 modeling to model a precinct from an energy perspective and create this future state set of buildings. You know, built out a CLT, so it really ticked so many boxes. But the big the big thing for me was actually seeing these guys now they've really come to grips with the technology. Now they're reaching out and pulling other people, pulling developers, pulling owners in, uh, creating a very sustainable outbuilt environment outcome. Uh, you know, zero energy building was the ambition. They also came up with like concepts around prefabrication of elements for those buildings from an M and E perspective. And I, so I think you know we can. The more you work in this, and I still remember back in the day, you know, when I was you know on the tools. Uh, doing things and then you start realizing the possibilities by just making a few small changes and then so I agree with you and I guess this is the challenge as always in the industry is you you've got to have enough share the vision that people can understand where the possibilities are but also recognize the challenge of for organizations to implement the stuff right and you know what it's like you run a business um if suddenly I pulled your um, your payment or you know accounting system off you and told you to swap to another one tomorrow, you know you wouldn't be too happy about that, would you? So, well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be because there's a lot of information in there. But <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, I, I think my mantra on on life is always about continual learning. Yeah, and you know I'm I'm very fortunate that there's days when you know. 
I get to play with different pieces of software because software vendors, you know, are happy for me to play with their software and test it out and understand yep. it. So from my man, from my approach to life, I actually enjoy the kind of, well, I wouldn't enjoy that at all. I want to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but it's, it's that one thing that I think that's missing from this industry. And, and, it, and, I, and I personally think my whole mindset has kind of slightly changed uh, after I'm after a keynote presentation from Built okay. in t- March last year, where a change management expert and Dr. Jen Fram presented yep. to us, yep, and it changed my whole mindset from this whole concept of I actually recognised that my whole career I'd stuffed up. Oh, confronting. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know when you when you develop kind of world leading processes that you know are world leading. Uh, in a tool, yeah, and you take people along the way, what you think you are, and you provide them all the training and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, there was never that whole change management piece, which I had no training in whatsoever. I had yep. no understanding of change management. I knew how to engage with stakeholders because of my architectural training. You work through and you're briefing and yep. and all that sort of stuff, and you develop everything up and you create a masterpiece. But the challenge is, is that when you're not driving that vehicle anymore, and you and you hand the hand the keys over to someone else, yeah. you see that you see where you fail because people start picking at it, and people start wanting to, you know, modify your car. And there's nothing worse <laughs> than seeing a poorly modified car, right? That's true. And I think that it changed my view on the world in terms of my approach to consulting. Now is about mentoring people on their journey. Yep rather than doing it for them, you know, going and getting the briefing and building. It's, yeah. And be, and otherwise that whole approach of um, building for people, I actually think is why we see so much failure in I, the industry. I, I agree with you 100%. I think it is a key learning that I've picked up myself, also the hard way, in that, you know, it's it, it, change management is a very subtle thing. Um, you can... I think that's the point. You want to you want to create the vision for people to understand, you know, what the lights on the hill is that we you need to be working towards. But you're really there as an enabler to help them understand. And I guess this is part of the problem. We're dealing with some very technical stuff here, and sometimes technical people aren't great at, at articulation, at articulating, yeah. you know, uh, and and sharing that with others. So. And it's very much one thing I'm really conscious of now. It's very much a team effort, right? You want everyone on the bus and you want everyone understanding um, that, look, I think the key point back to the original point around change is you're right. We all, we live in a, we, we live in a world particularly now where change is inevitable. And it's, I think the point is it's much better to make incremental change gradually and continuous improvement. I'm a big fan of the continuous improvement model rather than, the, the chunky step change because that's the step change is where the risk lies, right? Where you are trying to, where suddenly, you know, someone turns up and says, next week you're going to be using X. Like the barriers go up, right? Because yep. everyone knows their day job is hard enough as it is without having to then suddenly go, oh, well, what about this, you know? Um, so incremental change, continuous improvement, the team, the whole change management piece, it's, it's massive, right? And, and I think people, like you're probably alluding to, don't pay enough attention to, how you do that? How do you engage an organisation? How do you engage people in an organisation? Because the other point I think I just want to, last point I want to make about this is that 
people go, people don't like change. Even I said it earlier, but I think most most of us do. We do like the new. There's no questions. All humans like the new, the next thing, right? It's 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 how it's introduced though, and how how. So that's where the change management piece is so crucial, right? We all. We all do. We all pretty much love new technology. Like you see people absolutely buried in their devices and consuming content and banking digitally now and, and all those things that have been actually incredibly marvelous in the uh, evolution of what technology, like searching, finding uh, songs and entertainment and music and, and, and videos from, you know, from whenever, like things that you'd forgotten about. And I think so incredibly powerful. Um, being able to leverage all of that in our it makes our lives so much more meaningful. Uh, engaging with with people around the world like at a drop of a hat, like twenty years ago, that was just it was like a pipe dream, right? No, that's what I mean. Half of the time, I'm on video conference calls with yeah. with people from all over the world, and I, it's fantastic. And I think COVID's made it even better, right? Yeah. In the sense that people are more and more happy to do that, but. One, this would be. I don't think we're going to ever answer this in this time, and I think we might would have to pull out some heavy drinks to to answer these questions. But basically, what we actually need to come up with is an answer. We need to to, to essentially the construction industry need to be able to present this digital transformation piece yeah. in the same way that Apple markets its iPhone, because everyone everyone races out to get the new iPhone when when good point. When all it really is these Don't days. Don't just Apple now. Are you just the Apple? <laughs> all, all yeah, with a few people outside of you, at least 50% of the population. <laughs> all it really is, well, I'm an Apple I'm an Apple phone user as well, but all it really is these days, it's not a phone, it's it's a, it's a camera, right? And so the, the question being is, is that for the listeners out there that want to solve the problem that I know that I'm not going to solve and Don's not going to solve in, in this conversation right now, you know how can we pitch our digital transition? Because I actually want I actually want to forget what BIM. I actually want BIM to be taken away. Yeah. How can we actually focus on the concept of getting better quality information management across the whole of our industry? And it's and it's not about it's not about kind of you know changing everyone overnight. I think the incremental change things really interesting. Although at my old practice, I remember one person saying to me. I'm sick of constant change. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so for some people, incremental change over long periods of time can also fatigue. Yeah, yeah. But once again, this was me as the uh, a very young member of a, a, a large practice driving change through it without any change management um, expertise whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that one of the things that really needs to happen moving forward, I think, is that the smaller organisations need to actually have an an understanding or invest in change management to enable them to to actually move forward. Um, the big the big organisations and you know I've, I've worked with some major multinational consulting firms yeah. and they have the whole change management piece down pat. They they have different people that are just their role is to do that. They don't need external consultants. They have a personal in the organisation that make sure that all this engagement's occurring in the right time at the right place with the right people and it's incredible to watch but it just doesn't happen you know how good would it be if, if government had change management people in there i don't know but i guess once again it comes down to all of these things had they had the resources 
to roll that policy out, I think we would have seen we'd well, we'd, we'd see it accelerated right now. I agree. I, I think a couple of points I want to pick up on there, uh, which you mentioned, um, the incremental change piece. I guess what I'd like to to bring to the to the point back to the point of how we might do this is we all know in our jobs on a day-to-day basis, what we're doing and how we might improve certain things, right? So I guess, and one of the one of the presentations I, I did see um, at, at BMEPOS last week was uh, uh, a key a key word in all this, I think, is, is courage, right? The speaker made the point that courage is kind of crucial because it's about change. And, and like we say, sometimes it's difficult, but if you can motivate, in your role for what you're doing in a better way of doing something and use it, but, and don't sit down. Like don't just be the silent person in the room or put your hand up and, and say something, right. And, and, and motivate for an incremental change in what you do. Um, and obviously technology and improved processes is, is, you know, it's all about those, those things, right. The technology is there. We all know it's well-developed. It's well-advanced. We can leverage it. I mean, there's obviously there's, there's dollars attached to it, but all the technology that we're seeing pays for itself. When I, like, really well, if, it's, if it's used properly. Yeah. See, that's the problem, right? And this is the other thing about, and I have to come up and think of a dietary requirement or something that would, you know, to tie into the analogy, yeah, yeah. you know, because, you know, if, if someone uh, specifically has uh, certain dietary requirements, they shouldn't order a certain type of food, right? So yeah. the same thing should be had with BIM. It's like you don't need to order everything because you don't actually, you actually will lose money. And the thing that concerns me the most is that I don't know if I've ever actually seen a true business case behind any BIM implementation from or BIM requirement from a consult from a client ever. Yep. And and I think I don't think I think you can do it. I think the example I've been quoted before where someone did a business case study of his on email and the and the and the numbers stacked up that you were saving on the stamps. Well, that was the that was like, that was the closest they could get to 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 you know financial who's, modeling. Who's gonna who's gonna send that many um that many letters? But I guess well, that's what it was, Mike. Yeah. Like, you know, if you think about it, that's how that's what email was, and it's even called email, right? It's no one came up with a better name than electronic mail or email. Oh, uh, but no, I do admit though that the Scottish. Futures Trust, I think yes. it's called, do have a business case calculator which. I have opened on a couple of occasions, but never really driven it hard enough to see whether or not that it was accurate. Because I don't know, you know, there's a lot of factors there. I have to say that is a, such a great resource. I'm glad you brought it up because, in fact, I was on having a look at that at their website today and their, some of their content. It's a phenomenal resource for everyone out there to have a look at. Like Scottish Futures Trust, incredible. Uh, I, I can't recall actually having tried to run the business case, but it certainly would give you some great ideas on how to present, uh, you know, a business case. I've always, I've got, I've got sort of a bit more belligerent in my, my older age now. And anyone starts arguing with me about a business case, I just, I just go, you know, I slap it down. Going, you can't even, you know, I still recall it like, what is the business case for a mobile phone? No one ever did that, right? It's just an acknowledgement. You look at something and go. That's more efficient, right? It's going to make you know. It's going to take me less. So that's that's enough, in my view, to justify what you're doing. But if someone says, "Oh, we got to we got to work out if we're in a in a let's say a design practice, whether we should use modern software to do our design and authoring," I mean, seriously, like is is Autodesk and ArchiCAD and and all the other softwares out there trying to make the process slower and, and more inefficient? 
Oh, so, I don't know if we'll talk about that. Oh, just trying to bait you with a rivet <laughs> comment there, mate. <laughs> no, there's the the thing is, is that there's still a lot of challenges with that open BIM approach. And oh, absolutely, uh, I had some really good conversations with some people recently where I went into detail about some of the challenges that are being faced because of the true lack, I guess we'd say the true support of, of open BIM processes, I think. And, and I, and I don't want to go on that tangent because that becomes a podcast in itself. But I would agree. It's definitely a podcast and, in its own. And, and I really don't want to start kind of shooting arrows at, at, um, at software vendors because it becomes that kind of, I'm really over that, that kind of pissing competition yep. at the end of the day. I was explaining to someone the other day and I said, at the end of the day, all these uh, BIM authoring tools are like, you know, different screwdrivers. Yeah. They all got to drive in a screw. They've all got to drive in a screw somehow. You know, one's a flat a blade, one's a, a Phillips. Phillips head, and then you might have some of those more specialist Forks. ones, oh. you know, but that's all that they are. They all do the same thing. They might just do things slightly differently. And, exactly. and, and that's kind of what happens. And, there's there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there and on 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 LinkedIn which I see some days and I kind of just go wow I'm glad I don't um, smoke what you're smoking because there's some some really out there theories about software vendors that are really not really appropriate and well in all honesty the one thing that I have to do say about software is is that anyone that actually understands anything about software development the whole approach with the way that they work is a minimum viable product. Yes, it's a very That's, interesting point, isn't it? They they deliver a minimum viable product. What is the least that they have to deliver to to make the market still purchase their software? And and I've gone now on this journey, which I said I wouldn't. So <laughs> that's a really big naughty thing. Um, but moving on to you know we're both based here in Brisbane. Um, exciting thing happening. You know, in eleven years, oh, eleven <laughs> in nine years time. Uh, we'll see the Olympics here in Brisbane. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited because there's going to be some great transformation. I'm really disappointed, actually, that they're actually upgrading the Gabba. I think that's the oh, biggest. That's, that's, that's the, a hot topic. That's the biggest mistake that they. Well, making. you see, there's been a there's been somewhat of a parliamentary revolt on that. I don't know if you kept well, up. They with finally that. read my article. <laughs> maybe they maybe they did read your article, but there's uh-huh. certainly a, a move in uh, crossbench around uh, opposition to that significant spend on the GABA. And I think um, I would tend to agree with your article that the money could be certainly spent better elsewhere. Um, and, yeah, subject of probably another podcast, quite honestly. But, but I, it, I think well, I mean, we won't that, bring that's that a constructive up. debate we need to have in industry, right? Let's have, you know, let's have those kind of open constructive debates rather than, oh, we've made a decision and this is how it's going to be. I think there needs to be a little bit more transparency and openness and, frank conversation around what does the city want to, what, is, what do Queenslanders want, right? And and I'm, I'm obviously you, you can't have it like have a referendum for every single bit of interest, infrastructure development, but I think, you know, a bit more vision setting uh, around what this might look like and and a bit more engagement with the public will go a long way to, to like, like on a large scale of what we were talking about earlier, change management, because that's really what it is. Yeah. And well, you get support for it. Well, that's 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 where politicians have a lot of advisors, right? But yeah. the, the the key thing being is that here in Queensland now they, you know, they've 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 moved light years ahead in New South Wales and Victoria with digital twin initiatives, mm-hmm. and just recently we've seen a digital twin team being formed here in Queensland, uh, under the Queensland government, and 
the the concerns that I have with with this approach is as um, as we as I, I like the comment you made earlier about the strategic vision of kind of there's the goal setting of where we're heading. Yeah, but from from my perspective, I haven't actually seen any CDE set up or any container naming strategies put in place by the Queensland government agencies as of day as as of today. Well, from my knowledge, from what uh, I've yeah, seen out and about, well, TMR Transport and Main Roads, yes. Oh yeah, Mr. McSweeney, yes, he yeah, does Brian's have his done a naming. Great job there with and George, um, you know, and they've certainly, I think, again, really good example of you know pragmatic, practical implementation. You know, under under the blanket of, and let's not beat around the bush, right? It's is a challenge in working in government agency. With all the all the various stakeholders and various sub departments and all that, it's it's a huge challenge to thing. The wheels turn slowly, and they turn slowly for a reason, right? So I think sort of big kudos to them, and certainly have seen you know some great initiatives by them, codifications and all that sort of stuff. I think you know really good, but you know where's and we know that there's been some significant work done in the health, health yeah, arena. recently, yeah. Um, so look, I think everything's he- you know, heading towards. It's just, it's just, how do we really get traction? And I guess going back to the point I made before is it's 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 up to all of us, right? All of us working in the industry have the courage, have those frank conversations, push it. Don't you know what was that? What was that saying about um, um, all changes is 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 caused by an unreasonable person, right? So you've got to be a little bit unreasonable, and I don't be the yes person in the room. Uh, keep agitating and keep pushing, pushing everyone, challenging, and um, you know, let's be sensible about it. Of course, I mean, you're not going to lose your job over it. <laughs> but, but I think that's what you know. We we live in a democracy, and we need to, you know, you you need to make your voice heard, not just at the ballot box. You need to make your voice heard through the industry, the industry bodies that you belong to. And I certainly know that there's obviously some other common threads out there. Construction industries in a lot of pain at the moment. And, you know, another ACA have, 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 have sort of raised their voice and up the ante in, in conversations around, particularly with uh, large clients, uh, government agencies around, you know, an improved model of delivery. Um, and I think, you know, this all fits into that same common thread is how do we, because what we're talking about is basically how do we do business more effectively? How do we create a vision? How do we get buy-in from stakeholders? And you know, modeling and dates, and how do we, how do we become more efficient at delivering what what all of us want in our communities, right? Better infrastructure, better built environment, uh, more cost effective. You know, build you know two, you know, three schools for the price of, of one. I mean, that, that could be a, that could be a great dream. But I mean, you know, I'm certainly imagining you could you could get the numbers to stack up for that, but you're going to have to cut a lot of red tape, and you're going to have to bash a few heads together to make that happen. But it certainly would be achievable, right? Oh, of course it would be. But I guess moving on to my final thought for our chat today and the kind of main presentation kind of topic that I've focused on for kind of some of my industry presentations this year has been um, we have been doing it all wrong. Yep. And it was a presentation I gave at the Future Infrastructure Summit and it's a presentation I'll be giving later this year virtually as part of the BIM Coordinator Summit that's based in Ireland. So I won't be travelling to Ireland um, to deliver it face-to-face but delivering it virtually. And some of the things that I feel uh, about the industry right now in terms of, you know, that whole thing about, you know, being gluttonous 
for data and unnecessary data. Um, The final kind of piece I guess I want to touch upon, which doesn't kind of cover off on the whole the whole journey is the there's the kind of concept where people are asking for you know as constructed models yes of everything you know they they kind of want they they kind of want this digital thing now i've been involved in in specifying deliverables for you know my 20 year career in terms of handover information yep and most of the time you get the design drawings marked up and just put a a, a a lovely uh, title block of the subcontractor that that did it in AutoCAD and, and away they go and they just print them out and put oh, them in the set. Now, the industry's dirty little secret. Well, but that's as where. Builds. But the as built are. But the thing is, is this whole is this verification thing taking it to that nth level because of the fact that they've had these issues where the as constructed never actually reflected what was built. Could that no. be, could that be the case? I don't, I don't. I actually don't think so because the industry has tolerated as built poor quality as built since forever and a day, as I understand it. Oh, right? you you should you haven't seen my space, mate. <laughs> no, in all honesty, I work I worked with a client that was a, a a an asset owner. Yes, so it wasn't a developer. That's unusual, you see. <laughs> so they own the asset, and it was a site where there would be work done in stages. So yeah. they get funding for one stage, they construct it, then two years later they'll get funding for another stage. So critical information. And uh, they, knew, they knew how vital that was for their developments, right? Well, it's critical to know where all your subterranean services are yeah. because that's the most costly risk you have in terms of latent conditions on a site where you have an as-constructed that isn't actually as constructed. Yeah. Now we had a we had a very detailed surveying requirement stipulated in our preliminaries about how the as constructed for subterranean conditions were yeah. to be provided. Yeah. Yeah. Now all that that was doing was is kind of reinforcing with the contractor and the subcontractors that were building it that they had to be very they had to be very specific and and accurate with what they were delivering with that. Yeah. Is this whole drive for these, you know, verified as constructed models, possibly just a, an approach by people saying, well, I've never had reliable as built information. I want this, I want it to be reliable now. Or is it just once again, the inexperience of the person specifying it and they're just saying, you know what, because we want to do this BIM, we want to yeah. have this BIM project, we want to have everything and, and the bells and whistles. Uh, there's definitely a lot of the, the latter for sure. Um, I think the challenge the challenge is that, and I mean, an example would be you could capture the in, particularly in-ground stuff, right, and using different technology, right, and you'd be able to provide it probably in a format that would be far more useful to the asset owner um, than a marked-up drawing, right? So I guess there's an example of where maybe more discussions needed rather than someone saying, I want an as-built uh, model and drawings, uh, and and how do you verify it? I think there's very there's actually not a huge amount of people in the industry that are great at um, working out. Let's call it the technology or the process by which you um, would capture that. Like so, a lot of people, you know, as you probably be aware, when they talk about as built modeling, they they expect that someone's going to go out and scan scan a facility and then do a scan to BIM exercise and convert that into a 
uh, you know, an as-built model. And, and I guess, in my view, it's a complete waste of time in most cases. Um, what you do want, though, is obviously a level of, you know, it's not millimeter. In, in most cases, it's not millimeter accuracy. Like, it's very rare that you actually need millimeter accuracy. Like, you know, do I really need to know where a GPO has been put in a room to the nearest, even the nearest 100 millimeters? Not, not necessarily. Like, what's the value? I, but I do want to know is that there are three GPOs in the room and they're all on that wall. Right? Yes. Yep. Yep. So again, I guess that's where I think a more a greater, a little bit more sophistication in the specifications that you're talking about or requirements is will lead to a much greater value. Like have a frank discussion and go like you know in grounds, mate. If it's if it's within 300 millimeters or half a meter of where you say it is, that's that's probably more than enough accurate. No one's going to go and start drilling holes you know, closer than half a metre to, to an in-ground HV cable, right? So <laughs> hope not. <laughs> hope not. No, so as long as you know that it's, it's it's you know, and obviously we're probably not talking about 300 mil, but people that go on about, you know, millimetre accuracy and scanning, though, it's like pointless to scan. You really want to know the exact, it's usually a bundle of conduits as well. Yep. So we just want to know that there's a zone there that it's it's of this size and, and nature and, and it contains this this asset and it goes from here to here, right? And, and then you can and you can see the lids and you can go, okay, well, great, and it does this bend over there or whatever. Um, so I, I would, in principle, absolutely agree with what you're saying. Like we need, again, it's the same story we said before, there's too much gluttony going on. Let's just keep it simple and, and, and get real and get practical about what's needed and then you might find a lot more people get on the bandwagon. I think that's the perfect way to close out um, today's discussion, Don. It's... I think we'd have come up with a new T-shirt, Glutton Bim. <laughs> Instead of the Glut- Glastonbury Festival, call it the Glutton Bim Festival. Glutton Bim Festival. Oh, that's a perfect one. But, Don, mate, thanks very much for your time today. My pleasure, Nathan. Always a pleasure having a chat with you. And one final question, mate, and it'll be good to go back and listen to your your feelings in the two previous episodes that we've had you on, on for this. But uh, um, in 2023, Don, what does Bim mean to you? Ooh. Oh. You knew it was like, I, think it's, I think <laughs> I think it's like what you said before. You almost I want to forget about BIM now. I want to I want to just assume it's happening, and I'm, and we need to be talking about how do we leverage it. Yeah, make right. my life make my life easier. That's what <laughs> I keep saying. Yeah, don't we wish that would be the case? The thing is, is that you're still fighting fires every day, isn't it? Yep. It doesn't change. <laughs> you take away BIM and you fortify you every day in the projects that you're delivering and now you're just fighting different fires, different colours maybe, I don't know. Different levels, different layers. <laughs> <laughs> different classification fires, Ooh, right? Yes, too. All right, Don. Thanks right. very much for your time, mate. My pleasure. Thank you, Nathan. So for more information on Don, please head over to the podcast section of the SKUD website for further reading. I look forward to sharing our next podcast with you in a fortnight's time. Until then, good luck with your digital transition, powered by Bond University's Building Information Modelling Program. The Digital Transition